0: Kim Boudreau, CEO of Catholic Charities of Acadiana. Kim, have you made 20 years yet?
1: I think it's 20. 20 what year is it? <laughs> so, so I uh, began working with Catholic Charities in the fall of 2001. And so 20 years. 20 years. Yeah.
0: But you started as the executive director.
1: And. Uh, a week before Hurricane Katrina, so 2005.
0: But what was that like?
1: <laughs> uh, I was hiding under my desk. It <laughs> <laughs> was a scary time, you but, know? But
0: Lafayette dodged the bullet, right?
1: We dodged the weather bullet, yeah. but um, certainly not from a response perspective as people were evacuated to our community and um, ran out of gas here and um, and you know, our efforts were more geared towards people that had been displaced by the storm. And I was not prepared um, at all. I don't think any of us were, but I certainly didn't feel prepared for what happened in tw- 2005.
0: Bring us back to that point, just for a quick sidebar. Like, what was that like?
1: Um, it was scary. I think, you know, we felt You know, after Katrina happened and all the people started arriving and we were watching the news and, you know, it just seemed like so much chaos, Um, at first I felt Lafayette had dodged a bullet. And then I went to work the next day and I couldn't drive down the street because there were people everywhere. Um, I didn't know where they were going, but there were people in the streets. And so I had to park my car blocks away from our office and walked. And when I got to our building, I realized they were standing in line at our building waiting for help. I wasn't prepared for that. We didn't know what they needed, and so we went out and asked them what they needed, and um, they needed food, they needed water, diapers, medicine, gas. They needed basic things, and so we went and got a bunch of Walmart gift cards and began doing a distribution of, uh, Walmart gift cards. And by the end of all of our relief efforts, we had handed out half a million dollars in Walmart gift cards, $50 increments. Um, and we had set up a database to make sure we weren't duplicating people. Wow. Um, so it was a significant, uh, moment for me and that, uh, in those days, um, feeling unprepared for, you know, what, what, what we were doing and just looking at the need that was immediately in front of us and saying, what's the best way for us to meet this immediate need? and um, So I think, you know, also something that I learned in that disaster and many disasters after that was that the disaster phase or the immediate crisis doesn't last forever and that there will be a new normal. Um, It doesn't always look like it did before, but... The life cycle of disasters, that there will always be a, a normal um, at some point. Sometimes they last a little longer than others, that crisis phase. But an important part of that lesson for me with Katrina was that it won't be like this forever.
0: Wow, what a first week. <laughs>
1: um,
0: here we are in 2021. We, we've seen an increase in the visible presence of homelessness in Lafayette. I talked to folks, there's, there's a lot of commonly held beliefs. Some of it is straight on, and some of it is not. And so looking at how our organization responded to Hurricane Katrina in 2005, a lot of folks may believe, well, Lafayette dodged a bullet. No, we had, we had suffering here in Acadiana, and there, there was the need of a response. Um, I'd like to answer some questions today. For folks who are listening um, who may think one thing about the experience of homelessness, I'd like to kind of either tell stories or give a little bit of background on maybe why it's a little different. I had somebody call me the other day, there was, uh, there was a a gentleman who was, who appeared to be in an experience of homelessness, and they thought to themselves, "Man, if there was just more available jobs, then this person wouldn't suffer." The 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 idea if that person can just go get a job, does that stick in the real world, or in the one that we're living in right now?
1: Right. I certainly get a lot of feedback um, in the community that we just they just need to get jobs and it gives the appearance that they're lazy and they don't want to work. Um, You know, in in working in this environment and working with people experiencing homelessness for the last 20 years, it's been my um, experience that people that are experiencing the crisis of homelessness aren't in a, a place in their lives to be successfully employed and to be able to... Show up in the morning after a night's rest and clean, ready to be successful as an employee. When you're sleeping on the streets and you don't have your basic needs met, you haven't eaten, you haven't slept, you haven't taken a shower, you haven't washed your clothes. It's hard to, and you're wondering where you're gonna sleep tonight, where are you're gonna eat, what you know, how are you gonna have your basic needs met? It's hard to show up for work and feel like you're in a place where you can contribute something.
0: I, I, I mean, I have a bed that I sleep in. That's right. I've I've got my AC set on a certain temperature right. and I've got my all my crutches, my sound machine and my, all the... Th- but even with that, I mean, I wake up in the morning and I'm not feeling right. myself and I may have a, a grumpy day at work. Right. But that's nothing compared to...
1: Right. Sleeping on the streets at night. Many people... Um, are vulnerable for violent attacks and we certainly have seen that over the years as we operate our our crisis services such as the hygiene center people coming in in the mornings and have egg in their hair because they got egged at night while they Mm -hmm. were trying to sleep or um, we've seen people be hit with uh, paintball guns and they come in for a shower and they're covered in paint from paintball guns that they were hit with or um, they're they were robbed and their stuff was taken. And so it's really not safe when you're sleeping on the streets. And so oftentimes you don't sleep. um, You don't go into a a deep sleep that allows your body to, um, to recover at night. And so you, you experience a compounded sleep deprivation. And so when this goes on for months, sometimes years uh, the sleep deprivation alone um, can manifest different symptoms, um, and it comes across as mental illness, it comes across as someone being drunk, um, and it certainly affects people's ability to, um, you know, to think clearly. And I think that, you know, we we have seen people try to work while they're on the streets, and certainly I've known many people that have held jobs while they have been also homeless prior
0: to your experience as the executive director and now CEO of the organization, you, you did casework before that. Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: And, you know, there was a, so many stories, but one in particular that stays in my mind was a young man who was homeless because he had aged out of foster care and didn't have family uh, when he turned 18. And he was sleeping outside and or around our campus and on St. John Street, which is near downtown Lafayette, and he had a job um, at the Olive Garden across town by the mall. And every day he would ride his bike to the Olive Garden.
0: That's a long way. That's a long way. <laughs> That's a long way.
1: And um, and he would go and get cleaned up at the restaurant next door and show up for his shift, and he'd work his shift. And he'd, at the end of it, he'd ride his bike back downtown Every day, And um, one night while he was sleeping, a car pulled up on the side of him and uh, threw a big gulp from like Circle K, you know, those big cups and threw it at him and it hit him. And the man yelled out of the window, get a job, you lazy bum. Wow. And the next morning, you know, I sat with him and he was so discouraged that he was trying his best. Mm -hmm. He was going to work. Um, And it just seemed like it was insurmountable to him to save up enough money to put a deposit on a house or an apartment and to be able to pay that rent um, to get it started. And I think the connection of making minimum wage with the cost of housing is a lot of people don't realize that you have to work more than, you know, 40 hours a week to afford a one bedroom apartment. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's 60 to 70 hours that you have to work per week to be able to afford just the rent on at minimum wage at minimum wage and so the cost of housing is an issue as it relates to homelessness
0: and that's I mean that's something that would be so hard to overcome if you don't have that place to stay right and so the idea of somebody just looking at you and saying you just get a job that'll that'll Take right. care of all your problems, that's just
1: you can't work in a restaurant in a kitchen. A lot of restaurant jobs are available right now. If you haven't taken a shower, if you haven't washed your clothes, you know if, if you didn't have your basic needs met, um, you're not very employable. Yeah
0: Wow. What would you say, and here's another one that I've gotten I mean folks out there they want to be homeless. They're choosing this.
1: I've never met one person who wanted to be homeless.
0: Serious, in, in, your, in your 20 years experience throughout the life of our organization, you've never met one person that has wanted to be homeless?
1: No. I've met people that um, had years of trauma years of broken trust um years of uh their own failures that have um led them to believe that um different lies in their own lives but I've never met one person that when it came down to it they didn't want to be housed we had a um a man that was uh sleeping outside and had been sleeping outside for over 10 years that um, he would volunteer at St. Joseph's diner every day, and are you serious? Yeah, and he would. He had a campsite off of Ambassador, and he would ride his bike to St. Joseph's diner and volunteer with us. And wow. um, and for years, I, I would say, you know, let us help you get housed, and he kept saying, no, 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 I'm good out in the woods. I, uh, you know, I'm on my own. I'll take care of myself, and I like it this way, kind of off the grid, and um, and. He had cancer, and he went through chemotherapy treatment um, while living outside, and that was very difficult for to watch as someone who cared about him. And um, one day he showed up at the diner and he was barefoot, and I said, "Hey, w- w- what happened to your shoes?" And he said, "Oh man, I've got some raccoons in my camp, and uh, they took my shoes from me. But tonight I'm gonna stay up. I, you know, I got a little BB gun. I'm gonna." <laughs> And I said, oh, God, this is killing me, you know, and I said, please let us help you. And Oh, no, 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 I'm going to get the raccoons. And, um, you know, sometime later, I I remember, I don't know if it was a hurricane or we had some severe weather coming. And that day when he was going to leave, uh, I stopped him and said, you know, can you allow us to put you in a place in an apartment, um, we had an open apartment um, on our campus. I said, "Will you stay there during this weather event I, I stay up at night thinking about the people that I know um, who are sleeping outside and unsheltered and I have a hard time sleeping at night, especially when we um, have severe weather and yeah. I was like, "If you don't do it for you, do it for me. If you care about me, sleep inside during this weather event." He said, oh, "Okay, I'll do it for you. you know I wouldn't do it for myself, but I'll do it for you and so he stayed in the apartment that night. And um, the next morning, when I got to work, he was standing in the parking lot with tears in his eyes. And I got out of my car and I said, What happened? And he said, You remembered that I was a human. Even whenever I forgot, you remembered I was a human. And he said, That was the first time that I actually felt safe. I could lock the door, I got into a, a real bed and I slept. And he said, I forgot what it felt like. Wow. And I said, Are you ready for us to help you get housed? And he said, Yeah, if you if you you know, if this is possible that he was like, But I'm afraid. Um, and I said, Look, this is the deal. Academy has a whole section dedicated to camping. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm thinking you're telling this story and I'm thinking, look my wife and I we love going camping.
1: <laughs> that's so, what I you know that's what we do is a hobby not a lifestyle. Yeah. And so we um so you know we kept him in that apartment until he was able to move into housing um and you know I won't go through all the com- complexities of how we house someone who's been homeless but we were able to get him into a housing that he could he could sustain he did have some minimal income um from social security and um he was able to maintain it and um and he continued to come and volunteer at the diner he actually went through chemotherapy treatments again and and he would say you know it's not as bad as it was last time because i have yeah. you know air conditioning and i have a bed and it, it just made it easier and years later he's still housed but years later i'm in academy with my husband and who do i see <laughs> In the camping section. Are you serious? It was in the camping section. and And That's so, fabulous. you know, it, um, we've, we've housed people that had been on the streets for 20, 30 years. Um, I, I don't think anyone, when it comes down to it, wants to be homeless. I think that there's a lot of brokenness in this world. I think that there's a lot of suffering, um, and I think that there are a lot of reasons why someone, um, would have a hard time believing that they can be housed again, but at the end of the day, um, no one wants to be sleeping outside.
0: We have this built-in desire for survival, but gosh, like you're telling the story about this gentleman. And over time, that long-term chronic experience of homelessness, where you lose touch with the natural family supports that maybe were there before, and you start to forget your, your human dignity. Right. And so it takes, it takes an organization, it takes people to step out and say, man, I'm going to remind you. Right. I, I man, it makes me think, what is our responsibility? Like the community's responsibility. I know that it not everybody can go out and and build relationships with people who are suffering. Sometimes there are people who are suffering in our own family. We're called to that. But we have a responsibility to respond to people who are in our community here. Um if we want to hit another myth here, I get phone calls. I get criticism that we're taking care of everybody. We're taking care of people who are coming in on buses and trains. And they're just showing up here because Lafayette's the happiest city in the world. Um, is that true? Like, are we taking care of... Are, are we inviting people in and taking care of them?
1: Right. So... I've been told that for a long time and um, you know, there's, there's a part of me that wants to put world famous Saint Joseph's diner on. That. <laughs> Cause I'm told that people come all over the world you know, come come from all over the world because you know, of our soup kitchen. Well We have
0: some really great comments on our Yelp page. <laughs>
1: you know. We have great food. We really do. But I would I would like although I'm very proud of the food that we serve and the shelter that we've been able to offer Almost every major city has a soup kitchen. Almost every major city has a homeless shelter. And that as much as like I'm proud of what we do, like we're really not that much better than the next city down. Um, And, you know, anyway, so I'm very proud of our services, but I don't know if, if we're world renowned. Our statistics show that. About 75% of the people um, that are experiencing homelessness in Lafayette are from Lafayette. And the next uh, group would be from the region. Um, our, our numbers show about another 10% are coming from the surrounding parishes around Lafayette. And usually that's because of the, the lack of services, lack of jobs um, that are in those rural parishes. People are coming to the city, uh, very much like housed people come to the city looking for work. Um are looking for, you know, other things that the rural parishes are not able to provide. Um, and then you have another small percent coming from the state of Louisiana and then a very small percent coming from outside of the state. But I, you know, I, I struggle to even have this conversation about where are people from? Because even within our house population, where are you from? if you were born in Crowley and you've spent the last 20 years in Lafayette and you're asked the question, where are you from? I, where do you say you're from? If, you know, you were born in Lafayette and you moved to Florida. um yeah, Where are you from? You know, and then you come back, where, where are you from? And so I think that I struggle to have the conversation about other people as if these people that are not from Lafayette are somehow less worthy of their basic needs being met, or people that are not from Lafayette are somehow less than. Um, I think that as a as a people of faith, um, we we are called to recognize the human dignity in every single person and and honor and respect our brothers and sisters and show love for our neighbors. And I just have a hard time saying, I need to know what zip code you come from for me to um, show you a sign of respect or to, to look you in the eye, shake you in your hand. And I don't do that with people that have housing. Why would I do that with someone that doesn't have housing? And certainly it comes into play whenever we're administering federal grants that are targeted towards a certain population that like right now we're doing rental assistance and the funding is for Lafayette Parish. Right. So it matters then. But when it comes to meeting people's basic needs, if you're hungry, we need to feed you. You're hungry. That's right. If you're homeless, we need to get you inside and help you get back on your feet. You know, I I just, I really have a hard time um, having a conversation about where are you from. But our statistics show that the majority of people that are homeless are from this area. Um, I don't know of any buses coming in.
0: No, (laughs) no. And I hadn't seen them yet. Um, You talk about, The response of, of our organization, we are a, we are a faith based organization, Catholic Charities of Acadiana. Um, I think about the gospel of Matthew chapter 25, what you did for the least of my brothers and sisters you did for me. So we are seeing, um, we see Jesus in the people that we serve. There's no zip code attached to that um there's no worthiness unworthiness attached to it it's a th- this is a human being with inherent god-given dignity that can never be taken away um and even when the world may have forgotten even when folks around them may have forgotten we are called to remind and to assist um Another myth that we hear is that um, we're an organization that just takes care of Catholics. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, um, no. (laughs) Yeah. No. (laughs) Next question. So we're an organization that serves um, everyone, including Catholics. Um, And I I think that organization comes from um, the perspective of our faith uh, compels us to the services that we provide, our faith shapes and guides um, our values and how we um, conduct ourselves and our work and, and our values. Um, but certainly our services are targeted towards anybody in need, uh, including Catholics, but certainly not exclusive yeah. to Catholics. And we, we enjoy great partnerships with uh, many different denominations um, in faiths and in service together. Uh, we have great support from uh, our broader community and the work that we do, yeah. and we love working alongside many people with many different beliefs.
0: Yeah, whether it's in these essential services of mm-hmm. um, sheltering, uh, St. Joseph Diner, the, mm-hmm. the Stella Maris Hygiene Center, or our and, work in disaster.
1: That's right. We love our partnerships with, um, you know, with the Methodists, with the Baptists, with the Presbyterians, and um, with the Islamics, you know, working alongside uh, people to make our community whole again after a disaster. Um, or, you know, when people are facing the daily disaster um, of having their basic needs not being met. And so, you know, it's it's an effort for all of us, and we're all called... Uh, to take care of one another you know one of my favorite quotes from mother teresa is that if we have no peace it's because we've forgotten that we belong to each other and i appreciate you know it's it's easy to get discouraged when you look at the world certainly today um there's so much wrong with what's going on in the world uh, there's so, ma- so many reasons to be discouraged. Uh, there's crisis everywhere. There's disaster everywhere. Um, it, devastating news, I think, hits multiple times a day. But the, in the, at the end of the day, I, I think one of the greatest privileges of this job has been able to witness the heart of our community, mm-hmm. um, the love that is in our community, Um, In big ways and in small ways, in public ways and in private ways, watching people um, come forward with uh, acts of service, donations, um, with love for people. And it's been the honor of my life to, to have a front row seat at witnessing the compassion that our community has for those that suffer. So when I look across our community, um, and I see hatred uh, being said about people who are homeless, um, hatred towards people that are suffering, um, and begging for their basic needs being met, I don't recognize I don't recognize our community in those moments, because the community that I know and love, is one of mercy, one of compassion, one that recognizes the dignity of its brothers and sisters. I recognize a community that when there's a disaster, everyone pulls together, shows up, tarps the roofs, they sandbag, they take care of each other. And so today when I, when I look online and I read comments online, um, I, I don't recognize hatred that's not who we are. That's not speaking to our values. I, I think that that discourages me more than any earthquake, any hurricane, any virus. I think that, that that's the greatest disaster of, of our day, is in, indifference and hatred. And I think that as the happiest city in America, (laughs) as a people so deeply rooted in faith, I I call myself to remember compassion towards people that I love, people that I don't love, starts in our homes, Mm -hmm. but then it goes out into the community and out into the world just to look with mercy, to look with compassion. I think that if we could do that, Mm -hmm. it would give us the grace and the strength that we need to face these natural disasters, these humanitarian crises. Um, If we can recognize in solidarity um, and be kind to each other, even when we don't agree. I mean, I I don't agree with everyone in my family. I don't agree with everyone I work with. (laughs) And, you know, we've, we've come to a place where if you don't agree with me, then you're, you're canceled, you're canceled and you're evil. And that, you know, conversations, um, about why we think what we think and feel what we feel, um, have become so polarized that we can't listen to each other anymore. And, um, So, I think maybe we could listen to each other a little more without being offended um, and recognizing just the dignity of the human person in front of us.
0: We get these glimpses when horrible things happen, tragedies, disaster. We get these glimpses of it's almost like a, it's right after, it's like the beauty that comes from ashes of community putting down their differences and just responding and it's beautiful, but like a week later it's gone. You know, um, I, I am encouraged by the people who directly work for us, directly engage and walk alongside and, and accompany those that we serve. Um, those stories need to be told. Um, I think the maybe a, a common, maybe not even a misconception, but just something that people don't think about is the the time that someone spends unsheltered. Uh, I growing up, I, I if you had asked me, oh, what is the average time that someone spends unsheltered before they become housed again, I couldn't have given you an educated answer. Um, but you've engage people who have been, who have had that experience of homelessness for five, 10, 20 years. Um, ha, like, what is, what can you say about someone who, who has spent that much time on the street?
1: It's traumatic. And it, it um, every day that you go on without having a safe place to call home, without having a door to lock behind you, to have that sense of security is traumatic and it's it's discouraging Uh, it's certainly dangerous and it increases you know all of your health risks you know if you're a diabetic you don't have a place to refrigerate your insulin Um, and so you end up in the emergency room more than uh, you should if you have any kind of medical condition it's not safe for you to carry medicine with you on the streets so you can't take your medicine. Um, if you have mental health issues, access to care is very difficult. Um, getting an appointment, remembering it's your time to go when it's six weeks later, yeah. uh, when that appointment comes up, um, and getting there. And, um, you know, the difficulties of, of not having um, a somewhere to go home to. I think, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier that you have – all of your comforts of you know having a bed, having an air conditioning, having a sound machine, I, I have the same things. <laughs> I need everything to be just right and for my eye mask to be on because I have to have it pitch black in order to have enough hours of sleep at night. And if I don't have that many hours of sleep that night, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of cross the next day. Yeah. And um, certainly as, as a mother, I went through many years of sleep deprivation with young kids. And I was really cross those years that <laughs> didn't sleep at night. And, and so oftentimes when we encounter someone who is sleeping on the streets, you know, they can be a little grumpy yeah. and, you know, and I get it. I, I understand, um, that they're not presenting their best, um, uh, because they're not at their best. They're in a crisis and recognizing that we're dealing with someone in crisis and, you know, over my my life, I've experienced crisis in, in many forms. And I recognize that the way that I behaved, the way that I reacted to my family, um, the way I spoke to my family, um, the way that I performed at work during those times, um, that was not my best. And um, when you're experiencing a crisis and trauma, um, it changes you. And so I think that my personal trauma in my life has helped me to recognize um, what trauma looks like in others and what that trauma and that crisis feels like. I, I haven't experienced sleeping on the streets in my life, um, but I've experienced other types of trauma, and trauma is trauma, and it, it feels uh, the same, and um, and so, I, you know, I think that even when I'm having a bad moment with someone who is unsheltered and, you know, I've been I've been fussed at before. Yeah. (laughs) And um, that doesn't discourage me. Um, It doesn't make me think that that person's any less deserving um, of their basic needs being met. It says to me they're in a crisis. They're having a bad day. Everyone is entitled to a bad day Mm -hmm. and um, we try again tomorrow. That's right.
0: For folks who are listening, we're getting through, you know, a year and a half, pretty tough year and a half. Um, There's a lot of bad news. You drive around Lafayette, there's, there's a lot of visible need. How would you encourage folks in our community at a time like this?
1: So I would say I don't know if I can be encouraging I can I can only call on us and myself I have to remind myself daily to show others mercy and as a person of faith and as a community of many people that walk with faith as being an important part of their lives, I can say that. We believe that we are recipients of God's mercy and I know that I, I depend on God's mercy daily um, for my own faults in my own life. And as a recipient of so much mercy from God, I have a sense of responsibility to return that mercy to the people in front of me and to the people in my life. Um, and so I I try to remind myself that I'm I need to be as merciful. To others, as as God has been to me, and I think that that's what keeps me going. Sometimes is to to um, be the recipient and the giver of mercy on a daily basis um, with everyone I encounter, and and I fail, <laughs> and I get back up. And I think that I would just encourage people to keep getting back up and to try to be more merciful um, in their lives, especially right now. I think that we need it more than ever.
0: That was Kim Boudreau, CEO of Catholic Charities of Acadiana in Lafayette, Louisiana. We talked about a few commonly held misconceptions regarding homelessness. And a few takeaways from today's conversation with Kim. Number one, slow to judgment, quick to try and understand. That is definitely easier said than done. It is so easy for us to see suffering and either wish it away or make excuses for it. But the truth is, we often don't know the backstory. And I say second would just be mercy, 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 mercy. St. Teresa of Calcutta, she said, when we have no peace, it's because we've forgotten that we belong to each other. We see suffering, and it elicits a response. It, it begs one of us. Let's think about what our response will be, either as an individual or as a family. You've been listening to The Need to Serve, a production of Catholic Charities of Acadiana, Catholic Charities of Acadiana cares for the sacred gift of all human life, especially the most vulnerable. You can learn more about us and our programs at catholiccharitiesacadiana.org. Till next time, I'm your host, Ben Broussard. We'll see you.